Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Eric Deckers. In the first episode, we discussed two ways to gain credibility. We also discussed the importance of checking our work and pricing ourselves appropriately. In today's episode, we'll discuss personal branding strategies from Eric's book, Branding Yourself. Branding Yourself is about how to use social media to invent or reinvent ourselves. The book discusses how to use Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, blogging, public speaking, publishing, and networking to share information, build a social media presence, interact, and engage with people. So you are the co-author of the book, Branding Yourself. Can you give us just a high-level view of what this book is about? The subtitle is uh, How to Use Social Media to Invent or Reinvent Yourself. And we wrote it for the person who maybe didn't just get out of college, but they've been working for a little while. Uh, you know, maybe they, they got out of college and, and they're 28 and they're hoping to rise up the ranks at a, at a job or they want to make a name for themselves or it's an entrepreneur who wants to promote their business, but isn't, you know, isn't great at marketing their business uh, and they don't have the money to do a lot of advertising or it's somebody who shifted complete careers. One example we, we have in the book, or not an example, but we, we have these little pretend characters who this is how they would use this information. And I think she went from a pharmaceutical company to working for a nonprofit doing fundraising. And so then we, we, with that premise, we show here's how you use Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and blogging and public speaking and uh, publishing outside the, the blogosphere um, and how to use networking and how to use all these things to share your information like we just talked about, build up a social media presence, interact and engage with people and then measure how well you're doing. What are the best strategies for leveraging LinkedIn? I, I think you, you talk in your book, I, and forgive me if I'm misquoting, but you say it's something like LinkedIn is networking on steroids. Yes. I also call it Facebook for grownups. Okay. Uh, you should, tr I mean, think about your, if, if you're on Facebook, think about your Facebook habits. What do you post? You know, what do you share? What do you respond to? What kinds of discussions you have now take out the politics and the cat videos. And that's kind of what LinkedIn is supposed to be. You're, you're on there to talk about business. And so you're going to share business articles and you're going to share, you know, not business memes, but uh, uh, inspirational sayings. Uh, you're going to share studies you read. You're going to share articles with people uh, from your industry or you know, articles that people in your industry are going to want to read. So if you're in hospitality management, you're going to share the latest uh, travel reports. If you're in uh, construction management, you're going to share the latest news that lumber prices are falling. You know, you're going to share the things that your colleagues in your industry want to read about. And then you're going to have discussions with them and you're going to, you're going to like and thumbs up and heart all of the things that they post because LinkedIn copied that. Um, but you're going to build those friendly relationships, but you're going to do it with a business mindset. You're not going to share, or at least you should not share your controversial political opinions or cat videos or fun stuff your kid did at the soccer tournament, you know, none of that stuff, just keep it strictly professional. And you would be surprised at 
what comes out of those kinds of discussions, you know, the opportunities you find, the people that you uh, form an acquaintanceship with, or you reacquaint with somebody you knew 30 years ago or 10 years ago or whenever. Seems like some people, you know, as we go through this list of ways people can build their own personal brand, seems like some people might be concerned that, that it feels, what's the right word, arrogant or narcissistic, you know, to, to be focused on self-promotion. Um, obviously, I see tremendous value in that from a, from a business perspective of building a brand and how that can open doors for your business or your career. But how do you deal with a person that's concerned about self-promotion? feeling like they're self-promoting there. And I, I deal with a lot of that. And I hear from a lot of people who have that issue. I grew up in Indiana and in Indiana, we were taught that talking yourself about yourself is bragging, but <clears throat> we actually have a little chart in the book that shows the difference between talking about yourself and what bragging is. And so if I say I wrote a book, that's not bragging, right? That's a fact. I wrote a book. You can go to the library or the bookstore, and you can get it because it exists in real time and space. If I say my book is better than yours, or my book is so good, it won three awards. It didn't win any awards. But, you know, if you, <laughs> if you talk about that kind of stuff and you're, and you're making value judgments about how you are better than somebody else because you have a book, that's bragging. Just making the statement, I wrote a book, is not. And so it's okay to tell people, on social media or in person. I wrote a book. Here's where you can buy it. Uh, you know, you can sign up for my newsletter and get a chapter of my book. That's, that's promotion. That's not bragging. Um, but I think we have to get over the idea that, that just because you use the word I, that doesn't mean you're bragging about anything. And it's, it's a hard one for people to get over. And I completely understand it because I still am reticent about promoting stuff that I do. Uh, I don't always like to do it. And, you know, and I literally wrote the book on how to do that. And yet I don't want to. So you're not, the, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The squeaky wheel gets the promotion. The squeaky wheel gets the sale. You're not going to be a pest about it, but you, you shouldn't be silent and let it be, you know, the world's best kept secret. So how about customer success stories? If, if we've hit a really big home run with one of our success stories and we want to share that with new potential customers. How do we do that without crossing that line of bragging? And this is a great, uh, great storytelling method too, is you, you think about, and you, and you write it up as a case study or the testimonial, you know, my customer had a problem or, you know, this is ABC company. They had a problem that was costing them $10,000 a day and they didn't know how to fix it. And they were slowly losing customers and, you know, their hair was falling out and blah, blah, blah. And, and we came in with a solution uh, that fixed A, B, and C. As a result, the company stopped losing money. Uh, they gained more customers. They gained back the customers they lost. Uh, they grew new hair and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and so we get a mention in that story. But you're stating facts. Exactly. We're stating facts. And all we say is we came in, we did this. And here's the result that the customer saw. And you're not saying we're better than some other hair growth company. You're just saying, this is what we did for our customer. And this is the result. Right, exactly. And so, and, but the best way to do it is to just avoid value 
judgment statements. We came in with our award-winning solution that was the best and you know, voted the best in the nation. Don't say things like that. Right. <clears throat> Just in general, if it helps, avoid adverbs when you're talking about yourself. And, and that helps you avoid that whole braggy sound. For an individual, what is their brand? Is their brand their name? Or is there, should their brand be a company name? What do you recommend? Um, I, I hear from a lot of people, also the same people who don't like to promote themselves. They say, I'm not a brand. I'm a person. Well, yes, but you're still a brand. Because a brand, whether it's a company or a person, is not the logo. It's not the name. It's not the tagline. It is the emotional response that people have when they see you or hear about you. So you think about McDonald's, the golden arches and the name and the red and the yellow, they instill a feeling in us. We either love them or we hate them, right? Either way, it's a feeling. Coca-Cola, love it or hate it. Uh, BP, several years ago, BP oil instilled a lot of strong feelings in people who were upset about the, the Gulf oil spill. So uh, that was their brand. They were associated with that for so many years. So we inspire that same kind of response. And I call it uh, uh, the oh crap and oh good response. When you come and when you go, people say, oh good and oh crap. Which time they say it is entirely dependent on you. <laughs> but uh, but ideally, if you have a good brand, if you have a good reputation, and we can call it reputation instead of brand, if you have a good reputation, people say, oh, good when you show up and oh, crap, when you leave. If you have not done a good job, it's the other way around. I'm working to, to do this blog and a podcast and YouTube channel and, and build a brand and um, it's a long process. This is not something that's built overnight. Do you have any strategies for, for accelerating the, the time period that it takes to grow a personal brand? There are a few things you can do. You, first, you do have to recognize it's a grind. If yeah. you're going to do it, this is your life now. Um, so just accept that. And so then start looking for ways to make it easier because you're not going to be able to skip it. And so one of the things that, uh, a few things you can do. One is you always make sure to follow people who have your interests. So on Twitter, and let's use Twitter as an example. Um, on Twitter, I have on my bio, the things that I do. And if I decide I want to follow some, some people who used to be or still are in crisis communication, government work, I will go into my Twitter bio and I will change it so it says former crisis communications guy. And the people right. who are in that field know what that is. And so then I go onto Twitter and I do a search for anybody who has crisis communication or emergency response um, in their bio. And then I follow those people. And I just go through and I, I scroll down. I just click, 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 click. And there are only so many you can follow. Uh, you can follow up to 35, I think, and then Twitter shuts you off. But if you go very slowly or if you do 35 and then you wait for a couple minutes, then you can do some more. Uh, but I don't recommend you follow hundreds at once. Maybe just do this daily, do 35 and then go do something else. But 
when those people receive a notification from you that you followed them, they will see who you are and they'll see what you have in your bio. And so they will see that I'm a former crisis communications guy. And they'll go, oh, I know what that is. I, I do that. I'll follow them back. And so then after, you know, after doing that for several days, then I can go change my bio back to whatever I want, or I can switch terms and I can follow more people. So do, do that on a daily basis and you can be done with that in five minutes. Um, But then step two is to just engage with people. And so one thing that I do is I create Twitter lists uh, and, and I usually make them private lists because people get notified when you put them on a public list. So it's like people I'm stalking, you know, you make that a public list and, and you know, and then I put you in that, Nathan, I put you in that <laughs> list. And it's like, oh, well, God, he's stalking me. But if I make that a private list, you'll never know, which is what stalking is all about. And so, um, so you can make a list of like crisis communication people and adoption directors and places I want to work. And, and so then just make these private lists and then use TweetDeck. T-W-E-E-T deck, tweet deck, and it's owned by Twitter, but you can, you can put all those lists on there and then just watch them. And as people in your list tweet things, you engage with them and just, just have conversations with them, talk with them, answer their questions, ask them questions. They don't know you're on the list or that they don't know that they are on the list unless it's public. And then they can actually subscribe to the list and see that same list. But if, if it's private, they don't know. And so when you reply to them, the message doesn't just go to the list. It goes out to all of your Twitter account. Um, but uh, that engagement then increases your relationship with them. You know, you're not going to be best friends, but you might be Twitter buddies. And so I have several people who we are Twitter buddies and we will talk to each other on Twitter. They live over on the other side of the country. We will never meet in person, but I share things that they put up there and they share things that I put up and we respond to each other. And, and because these are authors and they write books, when they have a book out because we're Twitter buddies, I'm going to buy that book. And, you know, if you're reaching out to these these adoption directors and they need a speaker uh, to this conference they're organizing there, you know, and you've been having these conversations with them. They say, well, let's get Nathan because he knows what he's talking about. I've seen him talk about it on Twitter. So, so follow people, group them in lists, have engagements with them and, and just share interesting information. That's the last thing is become a, uh, a curation expert of your particular niche. So for me, uh, you know, I write, I, being a content marketer is kind of a big field. And so what I do is I focus specifically on written content, not video, not audio, not analytics, only on writing well and, you know, copywriting. And so I write blog articles uh, about, you know, why content marketers should study sports writing or grammar rules you're allowed to break. And so I'll share the content that I've written, but occasionally I'll see somebody else's article that they've written that looks interesting uh, and it follows kind of the same theme of what I've been writing about. And so I share that. And I've got other clients that I do this for. You know, the manufacturing consultant, we share news about uh, digital manufacturing and additive manufacturing, which is 3D printing. And we're constantly sharing those news tidbits. And he is being seen as an expert 
on digital manufacturing and 3D printing. Uh, just because we've shared other you know, stories from elsewhere, because it looks like he's reading all these stories. And if he's reading all these stories, he really must be up on this kind of stuff. And so I trust him to provide me with this kind of information. And then ultimately, maybe I should hire him to help me turn my factory into a digital factory. So that's the kind of thinking of, of doing all those steps that ends with curating information uh, related to your niche. And one of the reasons curation is, is so important is because it provides value. Because we're giving value and making a deposit in the emotional bank accounts of these, these followers of ours. Is that correct? Exactly. That is exactly it. We're making it easier for them to find valuable content, which then makes us seen as a credible expert that has been giving them value and, and uh, make it easier for us to, to work with them than being willing to work with us. That's it. Exactly. Now you can be the source of that information. Okay. You talked about TweetDeck and that's a, a powerful tool to help with our personal branding. What other tools are best for helping us with our personal branding? Um, well, I like TweetDeck because you can schedule your tweets, but a different tool you can use is called Hootsuite. Yeah. H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. And we use Hootsuite. Okay. And I like Hootsuite because uh, TweetDeck only lets you schedule Twitter messages. Hootsuite lets you hook up uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram for business, and Twitter. And so if you want to schedule things all at once, um, that's what I like Hootsuite for. You could also use Buffer but I don't know if Buffer does Instagram. A couple of years ago when I was looking at it, it didn't. And so I haven't looked at it again. But the thing about Buffer is rather than scheduling things, I could drop, drop a bunch of messages into the hopper and say, I want to send messages between eight and five. And based on the number of messages I, I, uh, I set, it will schedule those at ind- uh, evenly spaced out intervals. At the peak so times. It, yeah. So it might be every hour and 37 minutes. And I don't have to do the math on that. Buffer does. So that's one of the cool things about that. But um, and that that is one other tip to make things easier is schedule it all. You don't have to be at your computer at 315 every single day to send a tweet. Schedule it for 315. And then you know, schedule them all on a Monday morning, and you're good for the week. What are some of the killer social networking mistakes? Uh, number one is what I talked about earlier with those book authors is treating this like advertising. These are not advertising channels. These are conversation channels. You know, you look at TV, an ad is just me shouting out to thousands of people. This is what I've got on sale today. Right. And there's no method of interaction. And even if there was, I'm not going to listen because I have, you know, I have to put this out again and again and again. And so social media is called social media for a reason is I would rather have a conversation with you and you ask me, are you doing any, do you have anything on sale or do you have a solution to what my problem is? Um, Or you just research me and find out or, I earn the right to tell you about things I have on sale because we've had conversation because I've sort of stored up those, those emotional points where, you know, you and I have talked for a few days and then I say, Hey, 
can I offer you something or can I ask you to do me a favor and go check out my book on, on Amazon, right? I have to earn that right. But mistake number one is if I just get on there and I just only advertise to people and never listen. Number two, I would say is just being too general. I'm going to follow everybody because I want everybody to follow me. And so, uh, and kind of the other side of that coin, I'm going to buy followers. Uh, yeah. Those followers aren't real. They're not listening to you in the first place. Um, but if I just try to appeal to everybody, nobody will be interested in what I have. Yeah, definitely never buy followers, no value. And it actually hurts you because then your engagement per user score is a lot lower yep. and your, your content gets shown to less people anyway. And if you want to be an influencer, the people who do influencer marketing, like my co-author Jason Falls, works for an agency where he is in charge of influencer marketing. There is software now that measures and examines like Instagram followers of a person that are looking at, and they can tell how many of those followers are bot accounts, yeah. fake accounts. And so if you've got like even 30% of your followers are fake bot accounts, they figure something's up and they're not going to work with you. So you think you're being secretive and sneaky, uh, but there's software now that'll find you out. Do you know which software that is? I know Clout used to do that, but I don't think they're around anymore. They are not. I met a guy who used to work for Clout. And I, I told him I was very disappointed that they yeah, went out. Yeah, that was a I great a, service. It was awesome. I got a nice cutting board from Esquire Magazine because I was a I had a high Clout score. Um, I wish I could remember the service, uh, but Jason has a couple of podcasts on influencer marketing, and he talks about them quite a bit. So you talked about how we can use LinkedIn to do networking on steroids. In your book, you also talk about blogging, using blogs as a tool to, to do networking. Can you share some of your advice or strategies of how to do that? Well, and we talked about sort of the credibility factor. Um, and, and I talked about Kimberly and how she's just over and over trying to appeal to her audience, um, you know, with these, and it, it, we cheated in a way when we wrote these articles, it was five reasons your blank needs mystery shopping. And we had five target industries we were going for. It's like uh, uh, wireless mobile, multifamily dwellings, senior living homes, uh, convenience store, gas stations, and one other, I can't remember what it was, but we just, we kept doing that. So, you know, five reasons why you need mystery shopping, what to expect, when uh, mystery shopping comes to your blank, five red flags your blank should look for when hiring a mystery shopper. You know, just whatever it was, we had that theme over and over and over again, hitting her targets. And so, so your blog should sort of be that as well. You know your audience and, and your audience is not everybody. Your audience is your niche that you work in. So, you know, what are the things that they have of interest. And so here you can do um, uh, news analysis. You know, there's some new regulation that's being proposed that's going to affect your industry. So you write an analysis about it and then you share it with them. Or you have uh, followers and people who ask questions of you, you answer those questions for them, but in a blog. Or you see somebody posted a question on Twitter and they said, hey, Twitterverse, how do I do this? 
and you explain it in a blog article. And then you go back to that person and say, hey, that question you asked yesterday, I have the answer for you right here. And then that makes them feel extra special because it's like, oh, I just tweeted that, hoping somebody would give me a five-word answer. Here's a 700-word blog article about that. Um, another way is to, uh, to do a search in your archived emails, especially for companies that, that uh, the salespeople do a lot of work and not just order-taking. Do a search in your email for the phrase, how do I, or why should I? How do yeah. I do this? How do I inflate my swimming pool? How do I put a chain back on my bicycle? Why should I buy your, you know, your automatic swimming pool inflator, right? Those questions, find those questions in your email. You probably wrote an answer to that person. So just copy it, edit it, take out anything personal to that person, expand on it a little bit. There's a blog article. People are, you know, if somebody emailed you, people are searching for that kind of information. And if you write the headline as a question and you answer that question, this is, here's kind of an added bonus. Google, when we ask Google something, we always ask it as a question. How do I sharpen a lawnmower blade, right? We don't search for blade lawnmower sharpening anymore. We might have five years ago, but now we just say, hey, hey, Google, how do I sharpen a lawnmower blade? And, um, and so if I write that blog article with that question as a headline, and I start out with, here's how you sharpen a lawnmower blade, that ranks high on Google. But because I've got people in my niche who are looking for answers to that kind of question, that's how they find me. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, a brand is the emotional response that people have when they see or hear about us. We want them to have a positive response to us. Number two, when self-promoting, we can avoid bragging by stating facts, avoiding value judgments, and focusing on our clients' successes. Number three, we shouldn't treat LinkedIn like Facebook for business, only sharing professional posts and making business connections. Number four, we can come up with blog topics by answering questions our readers and people in our industry have. Number five, we can accelerate growing our brand by following people with similar interests, engaging with them, and sharing interesting information related to our niche. Number six, we can use tools like TweetDeck, Hootsuite, or Buffer to help us manage our social media accounts. And number seven, we shouldn't treat social media like advertising follow everyone or by followers. To learn more about or connect with Eric, you can find him on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also visit his website at problogservice.com or check out his books. And there's links to each of those websites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a copy of my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how you can become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Please do. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in building your personal brand. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.